This is an SBC Media Partners production. Swung on, hit high and deep. Right field. Good at feet. Good at feet. It is out of Phillies fans, these are your glove stories with Murph. Let's check in with Greg Murphy. Murph, you got a special guest, huh? Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by the Parks Casino Sportsbook app and the great folks at Red Robin. It is hard to believe, but it is our final regular season episode of Glove Stories, and we thank you for being here all season long. And we figured the perfect way to close out season number one is to, well, bring in a guy who was perfect as a closer Back in 2008, Phillies fans certainly remember that. But an 11-year career in the big leagues, six times in the postseason, a two-time All-Star. We welcome in Brad Lidge to the show. Brad, thanks for being here. Yeah, Murph, thanks for having me. I, I know you've had some great guests, so it is an honor to be closing this thing out for you. Yeah, and, and it really is uh, special to have you here. I'm, I'm excited to talk about, of course, the 2008 season. And I'm sure that's the, the season you get asked about uh, the most, or certainly when you're in and around Philadelphia. But I want to go back. I want to go back to the beginning where, where, where baseball started for you. And I, I know you were an athlete growing up uh, in Colorado. You played, what, three different sports, right, or, or more? Take yeah, yeah, three different sports. Uh, unless you want to count ping pong, because I, you know, <laughs> I did love ping pong. Still do. That's uh, one of the few I can still play with uh, reckless abandon. But <laughs> yeah, I tried to, you know, play football, baseball, basketball, whatever the season was, and uh, um, and and had a great time with it. You know, we had a we I, the neighborhood I grew up in was a, a competitive little uh, suburban area on the outskirts of Denver, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. And uh, we just yeah whatever yeah whatever the season was, we we switched into that mode. Yeah. Yeah. Which is such a great way to, to become an athlete. You know, it's like, I, I, we always talk about these, the specialization nowadays and, and how players are, you know, singling in, but back when we were growing up, it was, uh, you know, whatever the, the change of the seasons, that's the sport you're playing. But I, when did baseball kind of separate itself for you? Was it in high school that you thought to yourself, okay, this is probably, if I'm going to go on further, this is the sport I'm going to be with. Yeah, it was definitely high school. You know, I think uh, my freshman year, I played all three sports, but then my sophomore year, I whittled everything down to just baseball. And, uh, you know, for me, I didn't, I didn't grow a ton. I was a little bit of a late bloomer. So, uh, you know, I was kind of tall and skinny, which would be good for basketball, not so much for football, but, you know, I, I didn't make uh, we had, we had a real competitive high school in that. And, uh, you know, my sophomore year, I, I was feeling pretty confident that I might not make the uh, the team um, in, in hoops. So I was like, well, whether I do or don't, it's time to focus everything on baseball. And I just started dabbling with pitching. I didn't really yeah. pitch in, 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 you know, in serious uh, in a serious manner until I was a junior. Um, and so I, you know, but I but I did enjoy playing the outfield. I played center field and, and had a real good time with that. So um, baseball kind of became a more serious look. And to be honest, Murph, it really wasn't until I was a senior that I had any inkling that I could actually play beyond high school. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, and I've heard that from from other guys as well, all of a sudden it kind of clicks and you realize there's 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 other there's scouts coming to watch games and and your coach is saying, hey, you know, you've got a real opportunity here. Um, do you do you remember that time as being an exciting time for you or did you did you feel the pressure of uh, of being watched like that? How did how did you handle it? Yeah, it was extremely exciting for me. You know, when I was a junior, uh, I played on junior varsity and I pitched a little bit more. But, you know, when I was by the time I was, a, you know, in between my uh, 
junior and senior year that summer, I remember our, I had a kind of a, a come to Jesus, if you will, with our coach uh, at our high school, Mark Johnson, who was a legendary high school coach. And he was, he was kind of saying, listen, listen, here's the deal. You know, you, you, the center fielder we have Darnell McDonald, he's going to be a first round draft pick. Your left fielder and right fielder, the corner guys are full D one guy, full right D one guys. Um, and quite frankly, we like our guys on the bench to be able to play a little infield too. And, and I didn't have those characteristics. So it was one of those deals where he was like, you need to fully transition, you know, mentally into pitching. Right. Uh, you've got a good arm. I've seen you throw it in from the outfield a lot. I've seen you on the mound a little bit that we really got to get it going. And, uh, I remember playing just tons and tons of long toss, starting to do some, uh, bullpens with, uh, with some pitching coaches and stuff between those, uh, my junior and senior year. And uh, lo and behold, for me, somewhere along the line, I put on about seven or eight miles an hour, went from like an 83, 84 guy to about 91, 92. And that raised everyone's, you know, eyebrows and, and got me a lot of looks from, from colleges and, and uh, even, you know, some letters from uh, professional scouts, which yeah. you, know, you talk about exciting. I mean, that was, you know, one of our coaches, I had him in, uh, as, he was a teacher for one of my classes. And he would always wait till everyone got in the class. And he was awesome. He'd come around to the desk and be like, Brad, here's a letter from the Montreal Expos. They are, are recruiting you. And, you know, they let us puff our chests out a little bit for anybody, uh, you know, that might have uh, the, the fortune to be in that position. But it was real cool. And, and, yeah, it was a really exciting time in my life for sure. It's amazing the the moments in people's lives, not, not just professional athletes, but the moments that kind of change uh, our trajectory in life. And, uh, you know, for, for coach to be able to see that, all right, let's stick them on the mound and see what happens. Well, you know, look what happened. That's pretty darn good, right? I hope yeah, he gets a Christmas card. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, I, I, I was fortunate, too, because our, uh, you know, our number one starter uh, tore his rotator cuff playing football, our number two guy, blew out his back and all of a sudden lo and behold you know i was kind of just thrown into the rotation and uh you know for for me for being in high school and not really having pitched a ton at a varsity level uh thank god i could throw it hard because i didn't really know what i was doing at that point <laughs> at all yet so yeah. uh, i would just try and rear back and let it eat yeah you could do that in high school but uh so so you you make a big enough impact that you get drafted out of high school but you decide College is the place for you, and uh, what better place, if you ask me, I'm a Murphy, so what better place to go than, uh, than Notre Dame? Um, was that uh, when, when you started getting recruited? What, what drew you to Notre Dame? What, what, what made you want to be there? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I was fortunate that I had a, you know, a healthy year. That year, as I mentioned, some of the other guys got hurt. But, um, you know, I was slowly but surely more, you know, colleges were kind of looking at me and, and even a couple of pro teams, as you mentioned, I got drafted actually after my senior year in the 42nd round by the Giants. And uh, it became an easy decision to go to college, especially because, you know, I had a, a decent amount of kind of smaller colleges that, that saw me and were recruiting me. Uh, but Notre Dame kind of got in really early in the process before I had actually thrown in any uh, games of our regular season my senior year and they saw me pitch at a little tournament in Arizona when I was just starting to get that that higher velocity and uh, Brian O'Connor now the head coach at University of Virginia uh, saw me throw and he was like hey listen you know we, we like what we're seeing here we'd love to get you out on a, on a trip and we can probably give you a little bit of a scholarship and you know, my parents, uh, you know, they were just like, oh, my gosh, you got to do this. This is Notre Dame. Like the other schools don't even worry about it. Um, and so I went out there and had a, a great recruiting trip, really enjoyed the coaches, the head coach, Paul Maneri, 
who just retired after a great uh, career at LSU as well. So I had great coaches there and everything else. And then uh, I kind of fell in love with the place on my recruiting trip. And, you know, definitely the guys I was staying with tricked me into thinking that the weather was just bad on the trip that I was at. <laughs> Little did I know it was like really freezing, miserable wet baseball weather up there. But, uh, you know, we made do and uh, it, it was great. And uh, I'm really grateful that I went and had those those legendary coaches. Yeah, you know, and and that seems to me uh, a theme. Certainly, early in your life, uh, great coaching and and you know, wow. great players. Talent is one thing, but you know, you need that development. You need that coaching, right? You need guys that can see different things that you, that you're not seeing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every step of the way, you need those guys. And uh, as you said, I was fortunate enough to have them. Brian O'Connor was just kind of a hidden gem uh, that we had at Notre Dame, and it didn't take people long to identify him as like. All right, you might be the pitching coach there. You need to be a head coach at a major program really soon. Um, he did a lot for me. He talked about, you know, not just my mechanics, but also my mentality and just how I carry myself around campus and everything else and just being a confident person and, uh, you know, all these little things that are kind of between the lines that make someone go from a 42nd round pick to a first round pick, which I was fortunate enough to be by the time I was done because of, uh, because of a lot of the things he said. Did you, do you look back at your college experience at Notre Dame and think to your, is, is, was it all baseball or were you able to, to be a college student as well? A student athlete, obviously, but, but a college student, do you remember those days as being fun days, fond days? Oh, for sure. I, you know, I still keep in touch with my roommates and, you know, Notre Dame, you're not really thrown in with other baseball players when you're a freshman. Uh, whatever sport you're in, you're thrown in with everyone else, even football yeah. players. So, uh, you know, those guys coming from different walks of life and having different perspectives, it, it was great. And uh, absolutely, I got to enjoy being a student as well, you know, going to the football games and and uh, really enjoying the tailgating, you know, scene and, and yeah. just having a great time there. So, you know, look, I mean, obviously Notre Dame is a, is a tough school. And if you're not, you know, going to class or paying attention, you're not going to make it there. So you got to put yourself as a student first and foremost, and uh, you know, then a student athlete right after that. And then hopefully there's time in between to, uh, to enjoy being in South Bend and, and uh, watching football games. Yeah. And the weather's only really bad for like nine months out of the year up there. So, you, you oh, know, yeah, there's, there's probably three great months, but I don't see them during the school year. I think they're during the summer. So exactly, <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, all right. So as you mentioned, uh, you know, you get through your, your college years, biggest, biggest player of the year um, at one point and um, the, the resume continues to build. And by the time you're ready to, to make the jump, you are a first round pick. Take me through, um, what do you remember? Because, you know, we, we, we hear about being drafted, you know, or like you said, in the 42nd round uh, at a high school. Uh, and I'm sure that was a pretty exciting, you know, ex experience for you. Sure. But now here you are, first round pick, and you realize, okay, my life is is really starting to change. And, and baseball might be a, a big, big part of what, what's going to be my future, right? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I, I think going to Notre Dame, uh, you know, as a freshman, I didn't pitch much because I had mentioned before, like, I just, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of rearing back and throwing it. And I had a, you know, some shoulder issues too. So I didn't even get on the field that much as a freshman, to be honest. And then uh, my sophomore year uh, was, you know, it was, I, I got to be a starter and my velocity had gone up. I was in the weight room. I really didn't work out a ton in high school. So I was in the weight room a lot, getting stronger, working on mechanics, uh, more velocity was coming, but still not a great performance as a sophomore per se. But I was throwing the ball pretty hard. And so my junior year kind of started with uh, some hype for sure. Like, hey, you know, 
he's he went from kind of a 91 in high school to a 94 95 as a sophomore he could be uh you know a, a top five 10 round pick uh if he continues to develop and uh i started off just awfully as my in my junior year in fact my first game was against the university of miami and pat burl and they decided to absolutely light me up uh as they lit up our entire staff coming you know they were already like nine and oh and this is like our first time outside yeah. in months because we'd been you know <laughs> yeah. locked inside cages all all winter at notre dame and you know we get down to miami and they just shred us and i think i had like two innings seven runs and I think I just, I mean, it pitched awful. Now that lineup was like a professional lineup, but you know, that being said, it was a bad, bad first outing. Uh, and I remember Paul Maneri kind of pulling me aside and Brian O'Connor and saying, listen, you, you just got to throw that one away. Your stuff was good. People are going to see you just try and, you know, rebound from that and, and, uh, and relax and have fun this year. And I think literally every start got a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better uh, through that entire year until by the time, you know, my last couple starts of the year, I really kind of felt for the first time very much in control of my process out there. Velocity had gone up to 97, 98 miles an hour. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden now, uh, you know, it's crazy how you hear like one day, oh, he could be a top three round pick, a top two round pick. He could be a first round pick. And, you know, it's it's your, your parents hear these things too. And so they just, you know, my parents were yeah. so excited, but it really does start to take a hold of your life and you just cross your fingers and hope that everything people are saying, you know, come draft day is, is true. Cause you also hear a lot of horror, sto horror stories of, you know, people's brains just getting pumped full of things. And then all of a sudden they fall to the 10th, 11th round. So right. I was just hoping those things were, were going to be true. And, uh, and I would be a, a high pick. And so when you heard your name uh, and the Houston Astros attached to it, had the Astros reached out to you uh, prior to that and said, you know, we're looking at you kind of thing. Were, were you, were you waiting for that pick and thinking this could be it? Well, you know, I, I was I was hearing possibly the middle of the first round. And so, yep. you know, there were a few teams in there, Chicago, White Sox, Detroit uh, and the Astros. And I had kind of, you know, had conversations with all three of those teams. Um, and so the Astros had talked to me a little bit. They would called us and everything else. And, um, you know, it's funny because the 15th pick goes and then the 16th pick goes. And that was that was the White Sox. And I was like, this could be it. And I think they drafted Kip Wells. And maybe the Tigers were right in front of that. And they took uh, Jeff Weaver, Jared Reed Weaver's older brother. Sure, yeah. And I was just sitting there. I was like, oh, man, is this going to start just tumbling? Where is this going to lead? And then all of a sudden, bang, the Astros drafted me at number 17. And I just couldn't even believe it because, you know, I mean, you do, you know, it's not like, you know, it's not like the money isn't extremely significant. And you're like, like I hate to say it, but it, but it really like you realize right away my life is going to change, yeah. you know, financially, if nothing else. And so there's all these different thoughts going through your mind. And, and, and then really, you know, the Astros came out and, and uh, to, to Denver to my to my house and we kind of negotiated everything. And and once, you know, we ended up negotiating, I went down to Houston to, to sign the official contract. And I got to be around the Houston Astros players at that moment. And I realized a couple things. I was like, these dudes are a lot bigger than the guys I played with. And they're also a lot better. And I need to really, like, I had a lot of work to do. And I knew that. Uh, but it was kind of a wake-up call. And I think it was a really cool moment for me to be able to kind of interact with those guys. You know, Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio and Billy Wagner and everybody else yeah. who was on that team. It was a lot of fun. So, um, anyway, it was a great experience and, uh, and definitely a life-changing thing.
you know, that's always one of my favorite days of the season. You know, when uh, when the the recruits, the guys that had just signed their new contracts, the the newest draftees come and they meet the big league players, and we often get a chance to interview those guys on that particular day. Right. And you, to watch them kind of looking around at a, at a major league ballpark and a major league clubhouse and major league ball players, and for you know, I think for some of them it doesn't click. Like you know, I'm really gonna have to put the work in if I ever want to get here. Some guys think maybe. They're just going to step right into that. But for the other guys, and I think you can almost pick them out sometimes, you see it click that, okay, if I want to be here, I got some work to do. And it sounds like that's what, what you thought. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they actually had me throw a bullpen when I was there, which was probably a terrible idea because I hadn't really, <laughs> uh, you know, my last outing in, in college was like probably about a month and a half prior yeah. to that. And uh, I had just been playing catch. I hadn't actually pitched for a month and a half. And so my bullpen, I was everywhere, fully erratic. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, okay, all right, well, you know, we'll, we'll get you out there. And I think at that point, I was like, I need to get started. Like, you know, where, where are you guys going to send me? Uh, you know, I want to start pitching here. So they sent me to Quad Cities. Uh, the River Bandits was my uh, first team I ever played on. And even that experience, I remember, like, you know, th these guys can hit fastballs a lot better than, than a lot of the hitters I had faced previously. So um, I think just getting a little, little taste, uh, you know, at that, at that moment, uh, made me realize there was a lot of work that needed to be done. I, if I was going to be a starter, I knew I needed to have a better curveball, which is what I was throwing at the time, and a better changeup too. Okay, and and you know, so again, we we think back, and and folks that followed your, your major league career will think of you as a closer, as a, a late inning guy. But but the idea was, you know, Brad Lidge starting pitcher in the big yeah. leagues, right? And and uh, that's what you were working towards, and that's uh, that's where your career was was headed. When did when did you when did it start to change for you? Because I know I know you dealt with a lot of injuries in the minor yes. leagues, which which would be frustrating for for anyone some of your injuries were, were pretty serious right yeah um i had like a line drive comebacker that, that broke my right my actually yeah. my right wrist uh my ulna bone down by my hand and uh you know i had and i have a still have a metal plate in there from that but you know uh a few times tore some uh, tendons in my elbow had a rotator cuff get torn in my shoulder so i was having all kinds of issues trying to stay healthy in the minor leagues uh with the houston astros at one point I had more surgeries, four than wins, three. Look, uh, <laughs> oh, I was going through the Astros farm system. And so a lot of people were like, this guy is never going to get out there. Like, right. you know, and in my mind, I was like, don't give up on me. Don't give up on me. Because, you know, it, it, even though it had only been a couple of years, like, uh, you know, it was it was starting to get a little bit late for me to get out there and, and stay healthy. But Dewey Robinson, who was a fantastic minor league pitching coordinator with the Houston Astros, he came over to me and he was like, look, you can still start for now. He's like, but you, we have to change your mechanics. He's like, every time, you know, you crank on your curveball, your arm's hurting. He's like, I want to get your hand away from your head. This is a little bit risky because it's going to be a lot. It's going to feel very different. And I want to teach you a slider instead of that curveball. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know. A big mechanical change. I just want to get out in the field and pitch. And he's like, just trust me. So I did it. And lo and behold, everything felt so much better. It was amazing. And he was spot on. Uh, he got my, I used to kind of come through with my hand by my head, uh, when I came, when I, in, in my delivery and he got it away from my head. Mm. Uh, and it really just, it really, it was amazing. My velocity actually went up a click when he did that. And the slider was a better pitch for me. I was getting more swings and misses on it than I ever had on a curveball, And, uh, that kind of accelerated my path 
uh, you know, to the major leagues. And it was one of those deals where, okay, now he's got the weapons. If he can stay healthy, let's get him up to the major leagues. And, you know, it was a grind for the first couple of years in the minor leagues, but then all of a sudden in 2002, I got called up. Yeah. And, and so two things, when I'm, I'm listening to that story, two things jump out of me. First, you, you said, don't give up on me. Don't give up on me. But I would imagine, I mean, you're, you're a young man, you, you, you know, gone through college, maybe a little bit older than, than guys uh, when they first get into the, into the minor leagues, but don't give up on yourself at that point is probably just as difficult, right? Because it, it can be frustrating. It can be, it can beat you down with the injuries. Yeah, it's a great point. There was definitely a time where I remember sitting in a dugout somewhere, you know, not able to get on the field after about two and a half years in the minor leagues or two seasons. And I was like, all right, I need to, you know, finish this class and this class to finish my degree. And then do I want to go into marketing or like what is so like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're fighting those thoughts. And, you know, it's it's really tough for sure. And you just got to kind of stay with it. You got to know that um, your time will come again, but I'd be lying if I said there were, weren't times where I was like, maybe I'm just not meant to throw a baseball. Like every time I do it, something blows out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, uh, the other part of that story is, uh, the change of the mechanics. That's another milepost in that, in the career that you can look back at and say, wow, what if that hadn't happened? What if I hadn't been in that position at that time to, to learn the slider and, and change the mechanics? Because uh, what, a, what a difference it makes, right? I mean, uh, okay. we, we all know it now looking back. You might not have known it at the time, though. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a, one of those posts, as you say, along your way, a, a path, a marker, where you look back and say, had I not had those injuries, maybe I would have got up to the major leagues, but I never would have been as good, and I never would have had the opportunity to close out a game in the world series without, you know, those injuries in the minor leagues. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So you mentioned 2002 major league debut. Um, again, a moment you'll never forget. I'm sure family was there and, and uh, you, did you know what was happening? Like you were obviously up, you don't, as a relief pitcher, you never know if you're going to get in the game, but uh, was family there? Were they able to be a part of that? Yeah, they, they sure were. My, uh, uh, my wife flew down uh, to Atlanta. We were in, we were doing Atlanta, Miami swing. Uh, my dad was down there as well. And, you know, yeah, I was aware that I was making my major league debut, but I couldn't feel my legs. So I, you know, I wasn't fully there. I felt like, I mean, it's really hard. Your legs feel like jello. It's hard to get them underneath you, uh, you know, and uh, I, I gave up a couple runs in the, in the two innings I, I, I pitched against the Braves. I did my first ever strikeout in that game. That outing was Vinny Casilla. So, you know, I was pretty happy with that. And uh, but it was one of those games where I could see that, like, when I, through pitches that weren't where they were supposed to be they got they were going to get hit hard especially my fastball so I realized at that moment you know you, you can rear back and let it eat but if you miss your location major league hitters are going to pound it yeah and things haven't changed that's exactly the way it is to, <laughs> right. to this day pitchers will tell you that for sure I, I love this the, this little uh part of your story because uh, later in that season you started your one and only game in your major league career and yeah. I have to believe that being out there on the mound for the major league start isn't the only thing you remember in that game, is it not? It is definitely not. <laughs> um, I mean, there were some crazy things that happened in that game. First of all, uh, you know, I hadn't had a major league at bat yet. And this is my first start. So I knew I was going to get to hit. And so I had a lousy batting practice and I was like, oh man, this is going to be really tough. But I ended up getting two hits in that game, going two for two with two RBIs, a double and another hit that drove in a run. And uh, I just, I, you know, Glendon Rush probably, he was the guy pitching. He was probably on the other side, like, what is happening? How is this joker getting any hits <laughs> off me? 
Uh, but on my second at bat, when I got that hit, I had completed three innings. I actually pulled my oblique on my left side and I had to get taken out of the game. And, you know, I had like three shutout innings and I was just feeling so good out there. Um, and it was so so that was extremely memorable. But what was also memorable about that game is that after the game, Jerry Hunsicker, the general manager for the Phillies and Brad Osmus, we kind of got together and uh, Brad was like, hey, uh, Jerry's like uh, Brad Osmus was saying this. Hey, I think Brad should go to the bullpen. And I was like, what? And I was like, awesome. How could you? dude, you just stabbed me in the back. Like, why would you say that? And, wow. and, and I didn't understand it at the time, but I should have, you know, in hindsight understood how smart Brad Osmus was. He was like, here's the deal. As he's like, your changeup is garbage. Let's just get that established. He's like, but <laughs> your fastball and slider are actually good enough where you could quickly become a closer in the major leagues. If you, you know, go out of the bullpen, he's like, but as a starter, it's going to take you a long time. He's like the way that changeup moves. He's like, it's, it's very, you know, the, the, the spin isn't catching. It would take you a long time to really develop that pitch. And so at the time, I didn't know it, but that was another milestone or post right there that changed the trajectory of my career. How about that? That's really interesting. Well, just for the record, they were the only two hits in your career. You had <laughs> yeah, seven plate appearances, and yep. you, you finished your career as a 286 hitter. I mean, a lot of guys, they'll take that, right? Oh, heck yeah. No, I'm not going to complain about that at all. The other five at-bats I had were – you know, out of the bullpen. And I was pretty much just up there standing with a bat yes. on my shoulder, trying not to hurt myself. So yeah. Or grind into a double play or something like yeah, that. Exactly. Right? exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I love that. I love that, that you got those hits and uh, Hey, there are guys that, that never get that. So you have that. Um, I'm imagining one of those baseballs right behind you is, is, is that particular baseball. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, definitely maybe. around here somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so you make the move to, to the bullpen and obviously in, again, in retrospect, just probably the best, move you could have made and um you know 2004 you're, you have an outstanding season 2005 you're an all-star another great season um when when did it click for you that uh, okay you know what i can be a dominant guy coming out of the bullpen i think um so my first full season 2003 i was feeling really good uh you know coming out of the bullpen but i was a setup guy basically yep for Octavio Dotel, who was a setup guy for Billy Wagner. So I wasn't really, you know, the main setup guy yet, but I, I had thrown a lot of innings. And I think what really clicked for me more than anything is that, you know what, I can stay healthy throwing out of the bullpen. I can throw a lot of games. It never hurts to throw three or four days in a row. It always hurt to get like, you know, late in games with the pitch count getting up as a starter, but not as a bullpen guy throwing more often. So right. I started to realize that my arm actually would feel better a lot of times, you know, even the second or third day throwing out of the pen. So that's when I kind of realized I could probably put a little extra on it. And then I think 2004, so we traded Billy Wagner after 2003. In 2004, we traded Octavia Dotel uh, in the middle of the season, and I got to become the closer for the Astros. And I'll tell you, the amount of adrenaline I had going out there was just incredible. And I think, you know, that was when I really realized, like, with my slider, I could just rear back and throw it as hard as I could. And as long as it had that appearance of a fastball in the strike zone, you know, I didn't really think about command or location. I would just rear back and let it rip. And, and, and I was, you know, very fortunate. Guys were not identifying the pitch. I was getting a lot of swings and misses on it. And even through 2005, for the most part, 
uh, it was it was uh, obviously a, a great weapon for me. Well, yeah, I mean, you right. You were an all star in 05 uh, at the all star game. You you dominate. I mean, I, I would imagine that's a great memory of yours. You're, you're at your first all star game. You're looking around at the best ball players on the planet. And you're one of them. And you go out there and uh, strike out the side and your only opportunity, if I'm not mistaken, 11 pitches, nine strikes and uh, boom, boom, boom. You've got some three outs. That had to be pretty special. It really was. I think I tied uh, Doc Gooden, uh, you know, in my, I guess, you know, the lowest amount of pitches for, yeah. for three strikeouts in your first all-star game or whatever. So yeah, I was, I, I couldn't have felt better after that. I mean, that was just uh, one of those crazy deals where, you know, I was at that all-star game with uh, Roy Oswalt, uh, Roger Clemens and Morgan Ensberg. And uh, we had a great time. And uh, yeah, I was kind of, I felt like kind of on top of the world at that moment, just because, you know, it's uh, it's one thing to get to the All-Star game. It's another thing to get in there and do well. And it really was, you know, one of those outings where my family and friends were at there were there as well in Detroit. So it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, certainly uh, something cool uh, to to always think about. And you know, so at this point in your career, uh, it, it's you're still early in your career, but yet you've tasted the postseason, you've tasted All Star games, you've had the experiences that guys, uh, you know, sometimes 15, 18, 20 years don't get a chance to experience. Did it seem like each and every year was just going to be easy in terms of you know you know great teams and getting to the postseason and you know, because that's what it looks like. You, you look at the back of your baseball card, right? Yeah. I mean, at that time, I think that's probably exactly what I was thinking. Maybe uh, I don't want to say I was, you know, overconfident or cocky, but it did feel like every year is just going to, you know, go out there. And if, as long as you're healthy, guys are going to keep swinging and missing and, you know, everything's going to be, uh, I, I don't want to say a cakewalk, but things are going to work out. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, the major leagues are not quite that easy. So, uh, you know, whenever you're feeling probably a little bit better than you should, the, I, we always say it, major league baseball has a way of humbling everybody. No doubt about it. And, and we see it all the time and it happens to every player uh, at some point in the career, you know, even the great ones. And that's, that's what makes baseball so special. Um, we're, we're about to embark on the postseason here in 2021. Uh, what do you remember most about the feeling of, of playing and pitching postseason? So with the Astros 04 and 05, right? You guys uh, right. Were, were in the in the postseason. What do you remember most about how that uh, how that experience was? Yeah, well, so 2004, it, it, it's there were kind of two opposite feelings in 04 and 05. Sure. In 2004, got to the postseason and, uh, you know, I was throwing like two innings every single game. I think I had a stretch against the Cardinals where I went, two innings, two innings, one inning, three innings in four games, uh, four consecutive games. So, you know, I, I felt awesome and I was, you know, the results were, were fantastic. We fell a little bit short, uh, you know, that particular postseason, but, but, you know, I, I, I couldn't have felt any better. I had a, a great run through it. And so in 2005, I probably should have, uh, you know, realized, you know, I don't, I don't even know, you know, when you're, when you're facing the same team as many times as I had, cause we faced the Cardinals yeah. all the times in the regular season. Then we face them again in the postseason. You need to be a little bit more strategic. And I think I was just kind of falling into a pattern in 05 of just getting out there and just doing the same old, same old, and everything would go great. And it was, I had three, I think three consecutive saves. And then all of a sudden, uh, as I mentioned before, I would just throw the slider as hard as I could. And yeah. I just left one hanging to Pujols. And obviously in 2005, that's going to be the memory out of that. Now, sure. that was a, obviously a, a big you know moment, but 
it was also, you know, one of those things where we were able to then, you know, go to St. Louis Royals while had a great game. So we were still able to get to the world series. Yeah. yeah. And it was, even though we got swept by the, by the white Sox, it was an amazing experience for me, but, but I do remember in 06 and 07, I was not fortunate enough to get back to the world series. And I just remember thinking, man, you know, it's a grind out here. You know, when you don't pitch well, it, it gets really tough to, you know, there's a lot of questions, a lot of speculations. Can he get it back? Is he going to be at his, you know, best self again. And uh, so you really got to dig deep at that time and, and just realize, hey, if I'm ever lucky enough to get to the postseason again, I'm not going to take anything for granted. I'm going to be very, you know, focused on each and every single pitch and not get ahead of myself, which I think maybe I did a little bit in 2005. Yeah. And, and, and again, and that's baseball. And, and, you know, you, you think back to that moment, Albert Pujols, uh, arguably one of the top 10 greatest players ever to play this game. And, uh, you know, he's going to have his moments too. And he had one there. I think people forget that, uh, that the Astros went on to the world series that year and, and, you know, you, you play in the world series. Um, but I got to believe, and we're, we're, we're getting to the point where you, you get to Philadelphia, but uh, I got to believe that those experiences in 04 and 05, the good ones and the bad ones, all helped kind of lead up to the, the, the moment that's right over my shoulder because, you know, again, it, you, you build upon everything in life and, and you learn from, from all those little things. And again, baseball is no different, right? If, if, if 04 and 05 don't happen, maybe 08 doesn't happen for you. Yeah, I, look, I mean, it, it's amazing, you know, 05, maybe we, you know, get to the World Series and lose again or whatever. And, and you know, I don't, you know, give up that home run, but then I maybe stay as a Houston Astro for a long time. And I never get traded to Philadelphia, who was ready to pop and win a World Series. And I don't have the same fortitude as I had because I went through that experience. And so, you know, for me, again, you're talking about, you know, milestones along the way, uh, some, you know, some good, some bad. For me, that was certainly one where, you know, I, I really leaned on that experience uh, in 2008. I, again, I, I made sure in my own mind that each and every single game I was thinking through each pitch, never getting ahead. And really the entire season I had done that, but especially once we got to the postseason. Yeah, and and I, I'm a firm believer in, in in that that building towards moments and 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 learning from from past experience and and you know you just look at that and I think it's easy to see that that you were able to do that. Not everyone's able to do that, but but you were able to do that. Um, so yeah, so you come to Philadelphia for for whatever reason the you know the Astros and and decide to part ways. Uh, with you. Uh, they had, you know, 2007, I think you had lost the closers job for a little bit, got it back. It was back and forth. But at the end of 07, you get sent to Philadelphia. You know, there's a really good team in Philly. You know, they've got that core of good players. Were you excited at that point to, to be, you know, maybe a change of scenery, do me good kind of thing? Oh, well, absolutely. I think, you know, it, the first time you're traded, you always have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, like, how dare you, you know, I, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I think it's a good thing. And, and you know, listen, when, when Ruben Amaro called me and let me know that I got traded to the Phillies, but, you know, everyone is uh, understands the fraternity of closers. And Brett Myers had come off of a good, you know, yeah. season closing. I don't know if it was a half season or maybe like three quarters of a season closing. And so my first question, I was like, Ruben, this is great. I was like, am I going to close or what's going on? He's like, listen, we're moving Brett Myers back in the rotation. Yes, we want you to close. Our scouts told us your stuff still looks great. And we just think you need a fresh start. And I was like, sweet. You know, I knew the Phillies were a great team and I definitely wanted to close. And so 
that is a life-changing phone call for sure because uh, you know it's it's the first time for me that I wouldn't be in the Houston Astros organization since I got drafted in '98. Yeah. So really, ten years of of being an Astro, uh, '98 through 2007, and now I need to go into Philly, and I know I've got to be at my best self physically, but especially mentally, I've got to go in there really focused, really just, you know, mentally tough. I understand what's in front of me. And I also understand that I'm probably finally going to get that opportunity again to get back to the postseason and to pitch into the postseason. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's how everyone felt in Philadelphia. What's your first, uh, what's your first memory or two of, of walking to the clubhouse in Clearwater uh, and, and, you know, and seeing these guys um, and, and, you know, getting to know these guys for the first time. Well, I think I was shocked at the offensive firepower. Like I, I knew, you know, that they were a great team. They're a great offensive team, but watching batting practice, I was just like, <laughs> dang, these guys are going to mash this year. And I'm really happy. I don't have to pitch against them. So that was one thing that definitely stood out for me, but also just a great group of guys, you know, that were there and, and the guys I was going to be, you know, bullpen mates with, we had great conversations in spring yeah. training. Uh, just classy dudes. Everybody had each other's back. Everyone was rooting for each other. And it just, it felt like home in that bullpen right away. And it even, it felt even more like home because one of my first series in 2008 at home was against the Mets. And I remember we were down by the pen and some Mets fan was yelling in there. This is in Philly. A Mets fan's yelling in there and he's, you know, giving us a lot of lip and whatever. And the Phillies fans are like, sit, you know, sit down. We're, and then all of a sudden this brawl broke out in the stand, <laughs> and, you know, the Phillies fans jumped this dude. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, you know, the umpire, the uh, umpire, the uh, uh, security, uh, yeah. security, right. Thank you. <laughs> Security guy comes down and uh, he tosses out the Mets guy and he was like on the ground. And, you know, it was, it was just, I was like, Oh my gosh, baseball means so much to these fans. They are not going to tolerate anybody coming down and giving us less. And it gave me like a, a sense of, uh, of like pride and adrenaline that I don't think I ever experienced in Houston. Not that there's not great fans there, but there's sure. just not the generational aspect there. There's not like, you know, after we won the world series, people coming up to me and saying, you have no idea what this means. Like my great grandfather, no longer with us, my grandfather, my dad, yeah. that aspect didn't exist in Houston and it did in Philly. And I realized how much baseball meant to these fans at that moment. There, and there's no doubt about it. And again, nothing has changed in those years. Um, look, no one could have predicted 41 saves in the regular season, perfect in the postseason. No one, I, I don't think even yourself could have believed, you know, closing baseball games in the big leagues is a hard business. And the great ones always invariably, you know, blow one here and there. But but for you, it was a truly magical season not without adversity, you know, a couple of times your teammates picked you up. I think oh, yeah. back to, you know, we've been reliving the 2008 season on the podcast with Charlie Manuel uh, in our, in our second block each week. And, and so we've, we've relived a couple of those great games and I call it, and probably others do the Victorino game where he just went off offensively, but also the, the big throw to get, uh, I think it was Gregor Blanco uh, at the plate to, to save, you know, I think it was save number 18 or something on the season for you, yep. but you need your teammates like that. You need guys like that to be perfect. Do you not? Well, you absolutely do. I mean, it's a great example of why that season went so well. Um, I mean, guys were making plays. We had an incredible defense out there, but one or two times I absolutely, you know, without great defense behind me would not have converted the save. And on that particular moment, you know, Shane throwing that guy at a home plate, Gregor Blanco, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, you know, I realized, you know, probably somewhere around there, like, Oh my gosh, 
even if we have a one run lead and you know the guy hits a leadoff triple all i got to do is just go out there and keep throwing strikes keep doing my thing and the defense is gonna, i'm going to strike the guy out the defense is going to make a play something's going to happen that's going to end up with the right result and i really started to believe that you know every single time i went out there and the results worked it was like how could you not believe in it i mean i i really felt like no matter what when i went out there it was going to work yeah and and it did 40 straight times and then the 41st time uh second to last game of the season and here you are again in the situation where it's not going perfectly and uh and once again the, the one one of the best in my opinion uh double plays ever turned in Philadelphia behind you to save save number 41 what do you remember about that moment because at that moment here we are once again Brad Lidge the Phillies heading back to the postseason yeah, well, that was a big game against the Nationals. And, and I, I would argue that was one of the best double plays I've ever seen, period. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I get a ground ball, but Zimmerman hits it a little bit closer to, you know, second base bag, not right at Jimmy. And, you know, we needed a double play. It was a one-run lead, and that guy was on third base. And I just remember, it. Look, you know, Jimmy dives, and he gets up. It looked like everything was in fast forward. The athleticism of Jimmy and Chase in that moment where everything's on the line and the pressure it elevated their athleticism. It elevated their hand-eye coordination, whatever you want to say. Jimmy flips that ball to Chase, who flips it to first to Howie over there. I couldn't believe they were able to get a double play out of that ball. And so, you know, at that point, again, you know, that was the other game that really stood out for me. Like, I had to have great defense, and those guys nailed it, and it couldn't have been in a bigger, more important game uh, than, you know, a clincher for, for, for our division. Yeah, you could probably ask the first 100 Philadelphia baseball fans where they were at that moment, and they'd be able to tell you. It was a Saturday afternoon. It was around 4 o'clock, and they would be able to tell you the exact spot in the Delaware Valley uh, if they weren't at the ballpark where they were because it, it was that special of a moment. Now, the, you know, obviously the team had gotten to the postseason in 07, but that kind of what felt like the top of the mountain in 07. You know, they got yeah. there, and that was enough. The fans wanted more this time around, and obviously the team and the organization wanted more, and you guys provided that. As as you went through the postseason in 08 um, and continued you yourself to be perfect, but but the team itself at home to be perfect, was there just a feeling of, look, this is this is our year, and barring something that we do catastrophically, we're going we're gonna to take this? I think there was. I mean, the confidence, you know, going into the postseason – uh, just kind of just steam steamrolled. I mean, it really, you know, we were playing the Brewers and that felt like a, a series we, we took pretty handily. Yeah. Then the Dodgers who are supposed to be the next best team and we beat them very handily. And then, I mean, and everyone's firing at all cylinders, right? Like our offense is clicking. I mean, Matt Sears and, you know, that home run he hit in LA. I mean, just everything is working. Um, and so I think when we played Tampa and, and, you know, we ended up winning the World Series. Charlie Manuel said it best. He's like, you know, we could have played for another two months and just continued to get better and better. We were actually peaking, you know, through the playoffs. Like, it's a crazy thing uh, to get as hot as we were in the playoffs and, and everyone just performing to the best of their abilities at the biggest moment. Yeah, and, and you know, you could go back as far as, like, September 1st, if I'm not mistaken, you I think you guys were two and a half games back at that point or maybe maybe even three and a half back at that point. But the, the September that you had – you know, built, uh, built that momentum and boom, you know, right through the postseason. 
Um, well, I can't not ask you before I let you go. I can't not ask you what it was like on that uh, gorgeous uh, October 31st day in, in Philadelphia. Uh, you talked about the, the generational fan in Philly. Um, there was there was generation upon generation aligning the streets that day. We all remember the pictures. But for you guys, and I've asked, obviously, your teammates uh, similar questions, but what was it like for you knowing that, uh, especially looking back, 04, 05, your experiences, and then here you were at the top of the mountain, the man that had finished the game off, only one other guy in franchise history has had the honor of doing that, and uh, and here it was all in front of you. I mean, I can't even describe the, the feeling of elation that night, the next week, you know, the entire offseason. I think for me, I was just so thrilled to be, you know, a big contributor to the team. Uh, to not just having, you know, have gotten there and, and uh, been maybe a part of it, but but to actually have had a major role in that was an honor to me because, uh, you know, I knew how good my teammates were. I knew this needed to happen, uh, you know, for a lot of us. There was a lot of guys that got there and, and you know, they were maybe like Jeff Jenkins coming over from Milwaukee. Milwaukee yeah. had, you know, decided they didn't want him anymore. Pedro Fleas from San Francisco, whatever it was, a lot of guys wanted to prove themselves again. And uh, for us to all be able to do that collectively, like I said, I just feel like it was a total honor that I got to play with these guys and to be, you know, a, a part of that team. And, and, and to, you know, I think for me to sit back and say, wow, we did that. We won the World Series and, and I got to be, you know, a, a big part of that. And I got to be the last guy out there on the mound when everything went down. The, the, the incredible fortune, fortune, I guess, for myself when, when we talk about all these things that I went through to get to that moment, to yeah. be there in the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I can't imagine having had things gone any better in my career, 25 years for Philly since, you know, since the last title and, uh, it just all culminated in that year. And, uh, you know, th these are just some of the things I think about when I look back is like how everyone's career goes in different directions, but that year it worked out for all of us. Yeah, it sure did. And then you would go on to pitch in three more postseasons, and obviously, you know, baseball's hard and there are good teams and the Oh nine, you know, was, was there for the taking and, and, and it doesn't happen. Uh, we all remember the great team in 11, but, but again, that's baseball. And that's why, yeah. When you have a moment like 08, you celebrate it. And we talk about it, you know, what, 20 years later, whatever it's been so far, uh, you know, because because it is that special. That's right. I mean, you know, I think about like 09, we got back there. The Yankees won the World Series. In 2010, we lose to the Giants who go on to win the World Series. Yep. And in 2011, we go we lose to the Cardinals who go on to win the World Series. So, you know, I think a lot of those teams felt pretty good and relieved after they beat us. And so, you know, to the point where they went on to win a World Series. Uh, and it is. It, it's a tough thing. We haven't seen a repeat winner since the Yankees, uh, you know, in 2000, I think it's 99, 2000, 2001, yep. actually yep. three in a row. But that's how hard it is in baseball to, to go back to back. We almost did it. But I think every one of us should be pretty damn proud about uh, how, how our, our, you know, 2008 played out and, 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 you know, our careers in general with that with the Phillies. I don't think anyone in Philadelphia uh, would would trade it for for anything. I really don't. It was it was that special. Uh, Brad, I, thank you so much uh, for for being with us for kind of reliving uh, your glove stories. Baseball is uh, is such a poetic game, and there's so many great things that happen and so many great moments in uh, in baseball careers, and we just like hearing them and, and sharing them with with you guys. So uh, we really appreciate you being here. Yeah, I appreciate it too, Murph. It was a lot, a lot of fun to to kind of go back in the in the wayback machine and <laughs> and uh, remember how everything just built up to to what it did.
Well, uh, I know you come back to Philly from time to time. We look forward to seeing you back here uh, celebrating an anniversary of uh, whichever anniversary it might be with your teammates and all of that, uh, especially as things get back to normal here uh, in our country. Um, it, it'll be great. So we look forward to seeing you in person. But again, thanks for being with us and, and telling us your glove stories. You bet, Murph. Take care. We'll, we'll see you soon, buddy. All right. Brad Lidge here on Glove Stories with Murph. We've got more to come. So stay with us right after this. Hey everyone, Murph here, and the Parks Sportsbook app is the official sportsbook partner of the real Philly sports fan. Bet on it all. Baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Live in-game play-by-play betting lets you bet while you watch. No better way to bet right now than the Parks Sportsbook app. The only sportsbook app backed by the number one casino in Pennsylvania, and the only one I recommend. No one does live in-game play-by-play betting better. Bet the money line as it changes during the game on the Park Sportsbook app. Plus, bet on individual player performances. In baseball, you can bet on hits, home runs, and pitcher strikeouts every inning. How about golf? You can bet on match winners, bet on leaders after rounds, and more. New customers sign up right now and get your first bet risk-free up to $500. Just download the app or click parkscasino.com forward slash PA and use promo code ACTION. Do it now. Your first bet risk-free up to $500. Just download the app or click parkscasino.com forward slash PA and use that promo code ACTION. The website has all the details. Get game previews, podcasts, and more on Twitter at Parks Sportsbook. You must be 21 and in Pennsylvania. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Glove Stories with Murph is brought to you by Red Robin. Whether you're hungry for a juicy gourmet burger with bottomless steak fries and an ice cold beer or a crispy chicken tender salad and freckled lemonade, whatever you crave, there's something for everyone at Red Robin. So dine in or order curbside to go, delivery or catering. Order online now at order.redrobinpa.com. And welcome back to Glove Stories with Murph, and we welcome in Larry Bowe for what will probably be our ultimate game because uh, this is it. They We've made it to the end of September, this 1980 team that we've been following along and reliving these games uh, uh, little by little over the course of this season. Uh, here we are, Larry, and uh, man, what a ride it was in September for this 80 team. I, I was looking back, and you guys played really well in September, but on September 16th, the game, the team was two and a half games behind the Montreal Expos, uh, right. yeah, Expos, uh, with like 15 to play. And you rattle off 11 of your next 15 to get to the point where you're in Montreal playing for the division. That had to be, it had to be a, a, an amazing ride, but I would imagine some pressure there as well, right? Well, Murph, we knew we were running out of games. There's no question about it. And if my memory serves me right, before we went into Montreal, we had a four-game series with the Cubs, and we swept them. Yes. And I think that was like, okay, guys, this is what we got to do. And we knew going up there, when I'm talking up there in Montreal, it, it was a tough place to win. It was very difficult. They had good pitchers, and we knew it was going to be an unbelievable following. And they, they, There was 50,000 people at the first two games, and we had to go in and win two out of three. And yeah. that was a big task, believe me. But I felt we had some momentum going. And, of course, uh, the first game was very important to win that first one. No and doubt. That, yeah. that, was, that was number one on our mind. But I do remember getting in late and 
the customs people went through every single bag. They, they were on a mission. There was no doubt in my mind, uh, opening every single bag. And uh, we didn't get into really, really late in the morning, even though we had a, a night game. We had a night game, but by the time the plane landed in customs, it was like 3.30 or 4 in the morning. And then we had to play the next day, night in uh, Montreal. And we knew that it was going to be jam-packed, and we knew we had, what we had to do. I can only imagine the scene in my head. It was probably amazing. I mean, let's stop. And after uh, what, 159 games, the Montreal Expos and the Philadelphia Phillies were dead even. Right. And you're playing one another for the for the division title. The schedule maker did a wonderful job back in 1980 because it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, he couldn't have scripted it any better. I mean, obviously, I wish we could have played at Philly. Because again, it, it was tough going up there and winning, but yeah. I felt we had big time momentum going in. The only thing that bothered me a little bit is we couldn't have pitched lefty. He, yeah. he, had, he had pitched in that Cubs series and we knew that going in, but we had a lot of confidence in who was going out there. Ruthven and Christensen have, have been mainstays the whole year. Uh, and we knew that uh, their pitching staff was probably going to be tough on us. And the first yeah. game, it was the weather was okay, but the second game was miserable. Yeah, so yeah, no, I was just learning about that. We're gonna get to that in a second, but uh, yeah, you're right. So Dick Ruthven gets the start in this one. Scott Sanderson for the Expos, and right out of the gate. So basically, it's a three-game playoff series because you got to right. win two out of three to move right. on. Uh, right out of the gate, Phillies jump uh, on the board first. Pete Rose single, Bake McBride double, Mike Schmidt hits a sacrifice fly. Boom, one nothing. Top of the first. You know, customs is behind you, the right. two hours of sleep behind you, and, and you're you're yeah. one half inning into the game. You have the lead. That's gotta feel good, right? Yeah, we're and, and we tried to take the crowd. The crowd yeah. got it was it was really loud and, and we scored first and they calmed down a little bit, but they were into every pitch, believe me. Uh I had never been in that park where there was that kind of an attendance there. Uh and we knew going in, everyone told us it's gonna be sold out and everything. And, and it definitely was. The environment was special. The noise was loud. The turf was fast. And, and uh, uh, we knew that Scott Sanderson was a good pitcher, big curveball, good fastball. And we knew that run, runs were probably going to be at a premium that game. Well, they certainly were. So you guys get the first runs, one nothing. Uh, it stays that way for a while. In the third inning, uh, you guys get runners on first and third. Pete Rose is over a third. And you, Dallas decides, all right, we're going to try a play that has worked for you guys in the past. You know, the, the steal second, steal home kind of play, right? Yeah, we did that a lot during the course. Dallas loved that play. And uh, I, I'm trying to think, I think, I'm trying to think who was at first. It might have been Maddox. But anyway, uh, you know, they had a play where the second baseman came in as the runner ran, because obviously they did their scouting report. Sure. And as soon as the catcher's arm goes, then the guy at third takes off and they, they sniff that out. And that was that caught stealing at home plate. Yeah. So, so, so Pete's out at home plate. So right. it's been, it stays one, nothing at the time, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, awesome play. Uh, you know, I'm sure the excitement back in the ballpark at that point, right. the fifth inning, you lead off the inning with a single, you advance the second on an error, then to third uh, on a base hit. So again, runners at first and third, and Dallas pulls it again. <laughs> yeah, well, we try to do you, – you, you, we normally did that with, when there's two outs and trying to steal a run. And this time, I remember this one because Carter basically faked the throw. He didn't even throw it. And, you know, 
as when you're on third and you see that arm going forward, you're gone. Yeah. And obviously he got us again. So two backfires and I know Dallas wasn't too happy, but (laughs) Hey, that's baseball. You know, if, uh, if we get that extra run there, everyone goes great play when it didn't work. It's not a good play. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's probably what everyone was thinking at the time, but one, nothing still in the sixth. So obviously a Ruthven is pitching lights out. Uh, He did an outstanding job. Uh, and Mike Schmidt steps to the plate. And boom, he hits a home run. One of the biggest home runs that he has hit in his career. It's not going to be the biggest in, uh, yet, but uh, it was a biggie, and he makes it 2 nothing at that point. Schmidt, for some reason, I, I try to look back on this. He, he's always been a pretty good hitter at, 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 uh, in Montreal. A lot of guys didn't like hitting there. It was in the background. The, the scoreboard and center was way behind the fence. The depth perception mm. bothered me a lot. But uh, Schmidt was huge in that series, and that was a huge home run off Scott Sanderson. And uh, again, he, he started to put everything together there. Yeah, and, uh, we felt some some momentum definitely swinging big time to our side of the diamond. There's no yeah, question. And, yeah, and and so both you know because both pitchers are pitching well. They both made it through the six. They both get right. lifted at that point. Uh, Ruthven dealing all game, but he did allow a sack fly in the bottom of the six that made it two one but an outstanding start by him. And then Sparky Lyle comes in. He's a guy that we haven't talked a whole lot about uh, in this series, but uh, he comes in and he pitches a scoreless seventh. Um, just another one of those guys stepping up. You know what, Murph? We we got him after the rosters could be set. So, mm-hmm. you know, we wanted to get him so he could be in the World Series roster and playoff roster, but it didn't, it didn't materialize. But we got him to pitch in September. And he he got some big outs, believe yeah. me. And then yeah. uh, then Tug came in and uh, and saved the game. The Tug was seemed like Tug was pitching every day. I mean, it was unbelievable. I think he was. <laughs> he, he was pitching a lot. He was on fumes. I know at the end. He comes in and he pitches a, a one two three. He strikes out the side in the eighth. Uh, right. One two three three batters he faces. All three strikeouts. Comes back in the ninth and strikes out uh, the final two. Uh, to, to you know one two three inning again but strikes out the final two five strikeouts six batters um and and you know what that's exactly what you needed no drama at that point with a one-run lead he right. just shut it down never gave him a chance well and, and you know what we we figured that uh that if we win that first game i i really believe that montreal it, but it, it, you know when you play the last series it's in the umpire's hand i really believe because the weather forecast for the next day was brutal I think Montreal wanted to play a doubleheader. Mm. I really do it, it, on the Sunday rather than play another single game. Cause the forecast, if you looked at the forecast now, they would have said, Hey, there's no way we're playing. Let's, let's finish it up with a doubleheader. We played, but we had, I remember the game was supposed to start at one. I don't think we started at three 30 or four. Wow. And once the game started, it wasn't raining. And then about the third or fourth inning Murph, I never seen rain like this. And, and you getting on that wet AstroTurf, it's like uh Marbles in a bathtub. Um, <laughs> we made five errors. We one thing we prided ourselves on, we caught the baseball, but right. we made five, and Manny Trio made two. Which Christensen is crazy. made two. They, they were both throwing. Yeah. And uh Keith Moreland made an error. So we made five errors. We had no business in the world being in that game. We were get we had two base running blunders that were terrible with Schmidt and Bull that turned out to be a double play. Yep. Yep. And, uh, but you know, 
we kept battling and scrapping and clawing and, and uh, eventually things turned our way. Yeah, it's funny because I've I've obviously, you know, seen highlights of this game. I, I, well, I'm sure I have, and, I, and I've talked to folks about this game, but I never I never connected to me that the weather was that bad and, and obviously played a big part in this game as we're going to, as we go through it, you'll see. But uh, Larry Christensen, Steve Rogers are the pitchers in game two. Phillies win the game, you win the division, it's over. Expos win, you play on Sunday for, right. for all the marbles. So right. obviously another big game. Uh, bottom of the third, no score. Christensen walks Rodgers, and here's what you were talking about. Tries to pick him off at first, throws it away. Right. Rodgers moves up to second. Tries to pick him off at second, throws it away. Yep. Rodgers moves up to third. Uh, then Jerry White homers, 2 nothing Expos, just like that. And as you said, and then the rains start, and it, it, it becomes a challenge. Well, you know, to this day, when I see LC, I say, you know, I look back at that game because I've watched it a lot. And what are you doing trying to pick off Rodgers? <laughs> he doesn't have – I can see if it was LaFleur who stole 95 right. days that year. Right. <laughs> it was Steve Rogers. I said, you're throwing over there. It's wet. And then he – then he, uh, he, you know, at that time, we had pitchers, if they wanted to put on a pickoff play, they would pick their pants and a few answered. And he put it on again at second, and I'm going, okay, this is going to be a courtesy, I hope. And he throws that into center field. And I, you know, <laughs> every time I see him, I say, let's try two pickoff plays with Rogers on. And he starts cracking. <laughs> but, uh, I have no idea what his thought process was. More, believe me. You know, the only thing I could think of is when I was working on this game was he walks the pitcher to lead off the inning. You know, cardinal sin, and he's just right. trying to erase that mistake. You yeah. know, that yeah. that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, um, or or he thought maybe because uh, back then there were a lot of sacrifice bunts. Maybe he thought Rogers getting off a little bit and uh, anticipating the bunt, yeah. so he tried to pick him off and uh, <laughs> didn't it, work. It was yeah, no, it didn't work at all. Uh, all right, well he he makes up for it. Top of the fifth, you lead off the inning with a walk. Christensen gets a base hit, so runners now first and third. Rose gets a base hit, you score. McBride gets a base hit. Bases are loaded. No uh, no one out. Schmidt strikes out and then Lozinski comes up and tell us about that play because it well, was huge. He, he got a base hit and, and what happened he as the runners are scoring bull I guess he thought there was going to be a play so he keeps going and they get him in a rundown and he's out yeah so that takes us out of a, a big big inning right there yep. but you know you're taught if you think there's a play at the plate make them cut it off. We'll get the run. We'll take for the out, but there was no play at the plate and the conditions were horrendous. That would, that was even made it worse. It was raining so hard, but you know, when you're in the heat of the moment like that, your, your main objective there is I got it. I want to make sure this run scores. So I'm going right. to keep going. And again, it was a bad base run. That might've been Murph. I'm not lying. That might've been the worst game that we played in over two months. The, the, the way everything unfolded, we had no business winning this game, but it just, you know, it happened. And that's why you scratch your head and you go, man, that's baseball. baseball. You never know what's going to happen. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. The truth. It's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes you guys out of a beginning. Uh, you do have the lead at that point, uh, but the bottom of the seventh, the Expos would score two. Uh, one of them unearned because of the, the trio error that you talked about. It was a pop-up that uh, right. rains in his face and, and he's unable yep. to make the play. So it's four, three Expos and we're headed to the top of the ninth. This is it. If you don't win this game, you got to come back tomorrow and win it for the division. Yeah. And, and uh, play on Sunday. No. <laughs> Yeah. 
And I and I I would almost have to say advantage Expos if they win this oh, game. Oh, there's no honestly. question. Yeah, there's no question. Especially the way that we had played, losing it the way, yeah, making five errors and everything. Uh, you know, whether you want to clear your head or not, the, the, you go back to the room that night and you go, man, we should have won that game. We made five, but we didn't have to worry about that didn't because Bob to. Boone got a huge hit for us. Yes, he did. The Top of the ninth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Pete Rose leads off with the walk. McBride fielder's choice. Uh, he. Replaces Rose at first. Schmitty grounds right. out, but he advances uh, the runner to second. Right. And Bob Boone gets steps to the plate and gets a huge hit off Woody Fryman, left-hander. And and then you know once we tied it up, you know the momentum obviously shifts again. The fans are still going crazy because you know let's face it, they hit last. Uh, but that was a big hit by Booney. We got a lot of we got contributions, Murph. We've said this all during the summer from everybody in our lineup. Dallas was a firm believer, play everybody, because if you're not going to play everybody, if some of them, if you're afraid to play them, they shouldn't be here. So he did the same thing in the bullpen down there. If you're not going to use them, they shouldn't be here. And he used everybody that entire summer. It was unbelievable. Well, and it pays off. I mean, here you are at the, you know, the at crunch time and guys are getting big hits, even if they're coming off the bench uh, and, and making big plays. And that's what it's all about. So then in comes Tug McGraw, who had thrown two innings the night before, but, you know, his arm's probably about three inches uh, longer than it was right. at the beginning of the season. Right. Uh, scoreless bottom of the ninth. The bottom of the 10th, he allows a runner to get to third, but strikes out Andre Dawson in a, in a huge moment, a moment in the game, right? Well, Dawson wore out left-handers. I mean, and obviously we had the infield in, and I'm thinking, as wet as this turf is, oh, my God, I can see him getting some top spin on the ball. He struck him out, which was like, you're out there, you're going, thank you. And (laughs) But Tug was, he reached down and got a little extra. I mean, for him to come back and throw three innings, Murph, after three innings, yeah, two the day day before, and the conditions being what they were, uh, it, it was it was unbelievable what he did. Yeah, and 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 it, it had to pump you guys up. It uh, sets up the top of the eleventh inning. Pete Rose base hit, and then Mike Schmidt hits a home run, uh, and and that's it. You know, I mean, you got to you got to play the bottom half of the inning, but McGraw shuts them down. But uh, talk about it. Talk about a big. Swing of the bat, right? <laughs> yeah, it was off Stan Bonson, and he crushed it. I mean, as soon as he hit it, you know, in, in Montreal, it was a fair park. And so sometimes you hit balls to left field, and you go, uh, maybe. This ball was no maybe. It, I mean, as soon as he hit it, the dugout went crazy. And you talk about a hush over the, the stadium. You, someone put an, a, a pin in the balloon. and uh, But all I remember is jumping up and down and going, yes, yes, yes. And... We don't have to worry about tomorrow. You know, I always know we had to go out and get three outs. I felt that we, that the big momentum swing with the one swing of the bat and Schmidt, rose to the occasion once again. And that probably was his biggest home run that he'd ever hit in yeah, his career. I think to it get is. us to where we wanted to go. I mean, yep. there's no question about that. It's almost the perfect ending to that season uh, to, to, to have it come off the bat of Schmidt. Um, you know, what a unbelievable year he had and, and right. it, you know, and it was a heavyweight fight between you guys. I mean, knocking each other down left and right, but finally you get the final blow with Schmitty. And then I, I got to imagine Tugger, he comes in, pop fly, ground out, strikeout game over. It was quick. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, we, the first thing that went through our mind is we're getting off that field there. First of all, no, I don't think very many of us played the last game Sunday. Yeah. So Dallas said, 
there were, might've been a couple guys, but we knew that we didn't have to face the Reds or the Dodgers because we were going to face Houston and the Reds and Dodgers, for some reason they had our number. I mean, they were good teams. Yeah. It wasn't like, Oh, you know, you guys shouldn't even, we battled them, but they kept coming up with a big hit or making a big play or getting a call. But we knew that we didn't have to face them. And, uh, we felt good about ourselves, even though we're playing Houston, we had good pitching, yeah. but once we won the two, the first two in Montreal, it was, it was huge. It was, I mean, big. Yeah. Yeah. I and the, the city of Philadelphia is celebrating back, back at home for sure. And, right. uh, and what we didn't know was what an epic series laid ahead against the Houston oh. Astros. Um, and we're going to, we're going to talk about that at some point, but, okay. uh, but you had to get there first, and you do it by winning two out of three. You end up losing the final game of the season. You lose it, on a walk off. I think right? we lost eight to seven. Yeah, on a walk off. You know, right. hey. yeah. But uh, but I, it didn't I, matter. Yeah, let him let yeah. him have the last one. <laughs> yeah, you can have that one. We'll take the first. Yeah, two, we'll take right? the first two. Yeah, and and there you have it. And that uh, ends the 1980 season, and the postseason would begin. And uh, what a postseason it was, Larry. I don't know about you, but I had a blast reliving this this year with you. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I was a nine year old kid, and I was living and dying with every pitch, but. I certainly didn't remember it to this right. detail until we went well, through you know, it again. Since we've been doing this this summer, I remember a lot of the games, but some of the smaller things, I look back, I look it up and everything, yeah. and it comes right back. Yeah. Like I, I, I saw the five airs, and I knew that we had a bad weather, but then well, I, I literally watched that game, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, just to watch it. Yep. And I couldn't believe that we played in that. It was yeah. it was raining that hard, but it's it's it turned crazy. out all right. It turned, turned out, out okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, there you have it, uh, Larry. We're uh, we're not done with you. We're gonna we're gonna check back in with you in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're hoping to get you and Charlie uh, together to talk a little okay. postseason baseball uh, at some point. But uh, but thanks so much for for reliving the eighty season with us, and uh, and I look forward to talking to you soon. All right, Murph. It's been fun. Thank you. All right. All right, guys. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have more on Glove Stories with Murph. Glove Stories with Murph is brought to you by Red Robin. Whether you're hungry for a juicy gourmet burger with bottomless steak fries and an ice cold beer or a crispy chicken tender salad and freckled lemonade, whatever you crave, there's something for everyone at Red Robin. So dine in or order curbside to go. Delivery or catering. Order online now at order.redrobinpa.com. Glove Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app. New users download an app store or click parkscasino.com slash PA and use the promo code MONEY for first bet risk-free up to $500. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Glove Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app and Red Robin and is a production of SBC Media Partners. The engineer for Glove Stories is Chad Evans. Cindy Webster is our marketing and guest relations director, and our executive producer is Roger Haddon. Whether you are watching us on YouTube or downloading the podcast from one of our major podcast providers like Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure to hit like and subscribe so that we can let you know when a new episode of Glove Stories is available. We'll release new episodes weekly throughout the 2021 Major League Baseball season.